Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on October 20th, 2022 from A.T. Shire's living room. I'm literally on the couch, almost 100% horizontal, just like we tape all the podcasts. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a substantial recap of the oral arguments before the state Supreme Court this past week over the six-week abortion law currently on the books. If you like long audio clips, we have about 12 minutes worth from the more than three hours of arguments before the court. I promise you this will be interesting and enlightening. You may even get a law degree out of it. Speaking of degrees, Republican Superintendent of Education nominee Ellen Weaver got her master's in record time. We look at that and what the Senate did on the abortion bill that the House insisted upon. Of course, we want to hear your stories. That's why we have a voicemail box to hear from you guys about your life during these uh, more certain times. Of course, when we talk about economic uncertainties, that's still very much a reality. So let us know how you're doing at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is low, according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For the week ending October 15th, DHEC reported 3,086 cases of COVID-19 and 18 deaths. On average, 238 South Carolinians were hospitalized with COVID-19, 40 were in intensive care, and 11 were on ventilators. Currently, 53.3% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. The South Carolina abortion debate unlocked two new levels this week. It's over 9,000! What 9,000? That's right, it's gone Super Saiyan. Conference committee inception and state Supreme Court challenge. Let's start with the Senate. On Tuesday, the South Carolina Senate rejected the House's insistence to accept its near total abortion ban bill. The Senate insisted on its version of the bill that provides for abortions up to six weeks, or when embryonic cardiac activity is detected by a transvaginal ultrasound, as well as exceptions for rape and incest up to 12 weeks. And of course, fatal fetal anomaly and abortion at any time for the life and health of the mother. Since both the House and Senate are insisting on their own versions, a conference committee has been created, with House Republicans John McCravey, Tommy Pope, and Democrat Spencer Wetmore, along with Senate Republicans Shane Massey, Richard Cash, and Democrat Margie Bright Matthews. When they meet is still to be determined. Will they be able to agree on a compromise? Not likely, since the Senate was unable to pass the House's restrictive near-total abortion ban in early September, and the House version Republicans did manage to pass came together in a scramble and outlawed all abortions at conception, with the exception for rape and incest up to 12 weeks, with reporting to the local sheriff and the preservation of fetal DNA. There was also an exception for the life and health of the mother, but no exception for fatal fetal anomaly. Anderson Republican Senator Richard Cash said despite what happens with the conference committee, even if nothing comes out of it, the fight was worth it and will continue. Honestly, it caught us a little bit off guard in the political process. Uh, I will tell you truthfully, when, when we began in, in the summer, I thought we would pass a bill uh, that would be similar to the House bill and that the main arguing and fighting we'd be doing down here would be over the, over the exceptions. So 
I think once the Supreme Court said, here, y'all can now make the law, some people uh, who, who maybe voted more strongly pro-life in the past, all of a sudden weren't, weren't so interested in voting that strongly now that it was actually put into our lap. And, and so, yes, I was surprised that we couldn't pass a bill like the House bill at the end of the day. I thought the votes would have been there to do that. But that shows that uh, we have work to do in, in, in the political sphere. We have uh, work to do uh, just among constituents uh, to make them aware that, yes, actually, we can, by a vote today, we could have stopped 98% of abortions in this state, and we failed to do that. Lexington Republican Senator Katrina Sheely, who voted against the Senate bill, reflected on the months-long process shortly after the vote on Tuesday. Well, you know, I feel like that, you know, I, I'm pro-life. I am pro-life. But I believe that there's always exceptions to rules. I believe that children should grow up and, you know, I don't think children should be having children. You know, I've worked a lot with children's issues. Anybody that knows me knows how I feel about children, and if they don't, they've had their head buried in the sand for the last 10 years. You know, I've worked with children at DJJ, I've worked with children at DSS, and I've seen children 10 years old that are pregnant, and I'm gonna tell you that's not a pretty sight, and children should not be forced to have children. Children should not have to grow up, you know, and, and give up their life. and. You know, some people just don't want to understand that, and that's okay, because that's what they believe. But I, I don't believe that, and I'm, you know, you can't change how you feel inside. You can't change your heart. And just a little note here, Senator Richard Cash stood next to reporters listening to Sheely's remarks. Kind of unusual. Sheely made a note of it. Now, will anything get through committee and passed by both chambers before November 13th, which is when the signing die resolution said it had to be passed by? Again, not likely especially after what took place across the street from the State House at the State Supreme Court on Wednesday. If anything, lawmakers will likely wait to see and adjust tactics based on what the State Supreme Court rules later this year on the current six-week abortion law on the books, which has been blocked by the court since August after the suit was brought by Planned Parenthood South Atlantic. So what did happen at the High Court? Well, the five-member State Supreme Court on Wednesday heard more than two hours of oral arguments from a lawyer representing Planned Parenthood South Atlantic and other lawyers representing the state and related entities. At the core of the arguments was who decides privacy rights granted under South Carolina's constitution, as well as other potential pitfalls the six-week ban potentially runs afoul with, such as substantive due process, which was interpreted by previous U.S. Supreme Courts to include a right to pre-viability abortion under Roe v. Wade, a right to privacy, specifically access to contraceptives under Griswold v. Connecticut, the right to marry a person of different race in Loving v. Virginia, and the right to marry a person of the same sex in Obgerfell v. Hodges. This little recap here is thanks to the Cornell School of Law. But a big case and legal precedent that the state Supreme Court justices cited in questioning the lawyers was a 1993 case involving a death row inmate named Fred Singleton, where the court upheld the privacy clause in Article 1, Section 10 of our Constitution, ruling that Singleton could not be forced to take medication prior to his execution. Here's Justice John Kittredge questioning Planned Parenthood lawyer Julie Murray on this. And I just wonder if we stretch this concept of privacy, where are we on laws that we accept are valid regarding prostitution, bigamy, polygamy, um, assisted suicide? 
Where do, where do we draw the line? So I have a couple of responses to that. I think the, the framework is either strict scrutiny, which we have urged, or some other form of heightened scrutiny if that is what the, the court would put in place. We would say strict scrutiny that's consistent with what the majority of other states that have examined their express privacy provisions have applied to those. I, I would also say, you know, just as a matter of principle, in Singleton, this court recognized that an inmate convicted after a criminal trial and sentenced to death had a personal privacy interest in not being forcibly medicated against his best interest. Surely if the state of South Carolina provides and protects that privacy interest of Singleton, it would extend the same privacy interest to women who are pregnant at six weeks and are facing potentially uh, months-long or lifelong physical and emotional impacts on their bodies. Just so you know, you're going to be hearing a lot of Article 1, Section 10 talk, as well as Singleton quoted in the next clips. Now, the court, which is appointed by lawmakers in the Statehouse, went above and beyond to make it clear that they didn't want to legislate abortion. And if you all love long clips, well, here is one. In this clip, you'll hear first Chief Justice Donald Beatty questioning Murray. Her response... Then Justice John Cannon Few picks up the questioning. Can this court rule in your favor without setting forth a, a framework for abortion, meaning with time limitations, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester? Can this court re- rule in your favor without addressing those concerns? I think it could do that, Your Honor, yes. In fact, I think it should do that. I think it, it is the most limited way to decide this case, is to decide that it's six weeks of pregnancy and invasion of of uh, women's, women's privacy to their bodily autonomy is per se unreasonable. That, that, what you just said is, is, I think, your answer to Justice Kittredge's question. Because if we, if we look at the, um, uh, say, the 20-week the ban and say, you know, that, that seems like a fair way of allocating, of balancing out the state's interest in preserving unborn life and whatever other interests there are on the other side that derive from privacy or liberty or simply the um, interest that a woman has in choice. We think that 20-week ban is reasonable. Certainly that's what in 2016 the legislature decided. But then we move on up to the 20, uh, to, to, the, to this ban. And if one of us up here were to say, we don't, I don't agree with that. If I were in the legislature, I wouldn't have gone to six weeks. I would have stayed at 20 weeks. In other words, I think that 20 weeks is the line for reasonable limitations on the right of privacy or liberty that that a woman has. But that is, at least in its first instance, if it, uh, our policy judgment, not our legal judgment. How do we distinguish between the policy judgment of where we think the line ought to be and the legal judgment of where the line can't be crossed? And it has to be what you said, per se, or... Or in other words, in other, for, for us to, to invalidate a certain line, 20 weeks, six weeks, whatever, we would have to find that it's basically unreasonable as a matter of law. That's, right. That but, is what we're seeking, So in yes. other words, we would, and you could put all sorts of different ways of describing it on there, but we would have to say there's not a way that a rational decision-making body, such as the House or Senate of, the, of South Carolina, could decide that this was reasonable. Because if they did that, that is per se unreasonable. Yes, this court applied a categorical rule in Singleton as to when forcible medication of inmates is permissible. 
we are asking for a categorical ruling that at six weeks of pregnancy, an outright ban on abortion is categorically unreasonable. But, and but you're not asking us to say when is a good time. I am not. I, I am responding to the court's understandable questions about how to decide. We deal issues. with the law here. We don't make policy. Yes. I, the question uh, to, to your question, Justice Few, obviously the, the question before this court is not what it would have done had it been in the right. legislature. Again, you're hearing this need to deal with policy versus legal judgments. Also, here is Justice Cannon Few again trying to drill down on privacy and maybe showing a bit of how he feels about this argument. I do want to emphasize even our position is that this early in pregnancy, whether you know or not, there is a private sphere for you to make a decision. And whether it takes you 10 days or a month to figure that out, that is a decision that should be left to women. So I, I, I agree with you on that. Well, up until your last statement, I agree with you that there is a private sphere in which a woman should be able to decide. But there's another side of the equation, because in our constitutional provision, it does not grant an absolute right of privacy. It conditions the right of privacy on reasonable restrictions. And, and I'm trying to understand when is a restriction a reasonable Restriction. For example, going back to this data point idea, what's the what, what's the difference in the number of women who know they're pregnant and then have time to decide to have an abortion under the 22-week law or 20-week law or whatever it is, as opposed to the number of women who fit in that category on the six-week law? What's the difference? Now, that data that Cannon View is asking for is not something that is available, according to Murray, for an array of reasons. But let's switch to the state's team. Kevin Hall gave his argument on behalf of Republican lawmakers. Hall is here speaking first with Justice George James, then Beatty, then Justice Kay Hearn, the only female jurist on the high court. If we're going to talk about Article 1, Section 10, we've got to first determine whether abortion is part of privacy before we even deal with the adjective unreasonable. Yeah, that's a a question I have. Even if we accept Singleton, Counts, Forrester, Lock, Stock, and Barrel, does that translate into plaintiffs win and there's a right to abortion? A- absolutely not. Absolutely not. The first question, the fundamental question is, does the term privacy in Article 1, Section 10 encompass a right to an abortion? And how do we learn that? We discern that through rules of construction that you engage in every day. And we know the answer to that question is no. Why? We don't, because we study. Why do we look beyond what the words say? The words are very clear. I'd be happy with that, Judge. I'd be happy with that. As I said, we start with the text. The text is silent as to, as to abortion. Is that really what we're looking at? Don't we? I mean, texts are silent about a lot of things that courts have decided uh, are included. I mean, that, I, Your Honor, this is why this is a separation of powers case. Well, I want to I, I got a question I want to ask. I, you know, I think that it's a it's it's not totally wrong, but it's maybe a, to me it's a little misleading to um, to say that. To, to frame the question around whether Article uh, um, 1, Section 10 includes a right to abortion. I mean, very clearly the word is not in there. But but it does include a right of privacy. And there are privacy, con- to me, there are privacy concerns that arise around this question of abortion. There are uh, confidential conversations that a pregnant woman would have with her with her spouse or her boyfriend, with her doctor, with her pastor, uh, these are, to me, privacy concerns. They're, 
you know, it might change a little bit when you get to the act or to the procedure of abortion. But I, I don't want to I personally don't want to answer this question over the extent of the right of privacy. But then you get to, in my analysis, you get to whether an individual restriction on the abortion is unreasonable in light of the privacy concerns and perhaps others that I outlined. And, uh, and so we, to, to me, and, and, and going back to my conversation, uh, with, with petitioner, um, we're not going, I know I'm not going to substitute my own personal policy judgment for that of the legislature. That ain't going to happen. But, I do envision that there could be a line past which a legislative policy judgment simply can't be justified as reasonable. A lot of Hall's argument is that the constitutional right to privacy under Article 1, Section 10 of the state's constitution was intended to be tailored to that of electronic communication and search and seizure, which has never been mentioned in any right to privacy case briefs over the years. It is remarkable that in the in the record there, there's, a, there's not at least a discussion of it. There's no mention. There's no mention. And again, uh, we have this battle about what was in newspapers at given points in time. If the argument is what did they mean based on what the West Committee said, what the General Assembly said, what the ballot question said, and what the voters thought it said, this is a hands-down winner because it cannot be reasonably suggested that the term privacy in Article 1, Section 10, had anything to do with abortion. Grayson Lambert, representing Governor Henry McMaster, said that in Singleton, it was a personal decision. This was something that Justice Hearn pounced on. They also point the court to the appendix. So your position would be that State v. Singleton was wrongly decided when it extended it to medical, forced medical treatment? Your Honor, I think Singleton is at least distinguishable here for five reasons. We're not asking the court to overrule Singleton in this context. But if I may, one, Singleton involved an entirely personal decision. Even the United States Supreme Court in Roe noted that... What could that, be more personal about a woman's decision to have an abortion? The Supreme Court in Roe, Your Honor, recognized that abortion was, quote, inherently different. That's page well, one. Well, I'm asking you. I know you're not a woman, but what could be more personal than that decision? Your Honor, there could be any number of things that are more personal. Name um, me one. I know all the women in the courtroom who happen to be mostly on this side, interestingly. Your Honor, I would we think... We all want to know. What about would be more personal than that, Mr. How Lambert? How about physician-assisted suicide? It would terminate that person's own life. That is illegal under state law. Then here you hear Justice Cannon view piling on with his stance on privacy and the importance of the Singleton precedent in this case. I've made it clear in my comments here that I'm an advocate of the right of privacy. I think South Carolinians deserve and have a right of privacy extends into all areas of our life. That doesn't answer this question. It simply poses the question of whether the government action is a reasonable invasion of that right of privacy. If I'm writing an opinion in your favor, I'm using Singleton to support my decision. I, I would not to distinguish it. Singleton recognizes the right of privacy but talks about the limitation that it has in that context. And the language is, uh, an inmate in South Carolina has a very limited privacy interest. Now, why wouldn't you make that argument here instead of trying to emasculate the rights of privacy of all South Carolina citizens? Justice Few, I think... It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. Okay, I'm wrapping it up here soon, folks. But again, playing these long clips so you kind of get an idea how these justices are feeling. We can kind of maybe tease, parse out their thoughts on a future ruling. 
So I hope this is interesting to you, condensing about two plus hours of arguments. Now, after those lawyers for the state and related entities spoke, Julie Murray for Planned Parenthood South Atlantic went back up before the five justices for a rebuttal and opened up with this, followed by questioning by Justice Kittredge. Despite three attorneys, more than 45 minutes of argument, I still don't know what the state's position is as to why the General Assembly could not mandate sterilization or forbid married women from taking birth control upon pain of criminal penalties. They say maybe it's in the common law. Maybe it's in substantive due process. It's not clear to me whether it's federal law. Is it state law? That ambiguity certainly is cold comfort to the women of South Carolina whose lives and bodies are affected by laws like Senate Bill 1. Well, everyone here, I think everyone in this courtroom, everyone in South Carolina, believes there's a right to privacy, as that word is stated colloquially, just generically, in the abstract. But here it's in the Constitution. As a constitutional term of art, it must have a fixed, ascertainable, defined meaning that can be understood and addressed in a legal framework. And that's what, at least I I think we're trying to do, is to cobble that together to understand what that definition is as a legal term of art and not just a generic in the abstract. Okay, that's a summation of all of that. Now, should the court overturn the six-week ban, then the state would revert to its previous law in the books prior to February 2021, which allowed for abortions up to five and a half months. Though the three providers in the state said that they don't provide abortions past 14 weeks anyway. Okay, folks, I know you probably thought this section would be over, but we got a little bit more. So let's jump on the campaign trail for a moment. Starting with the state superintendent of education race. The Republican nominee, Ellen Weaver, said this week on social media that, quote, by God's grace and with a lot of hard work, I have just completed every single requirement to receive my master's degree in educational leadership, quote. Weaver enrolled in a 33-credit online master's program at her alma mater, Bob Jones University, earlier this year, after it was noted that she did not have a higher ed degree as dictated by state law to hold the position. Usually obtaining such a degree would take 12 to 18 months to complete, but where there's a will, there's a way, especially during an election year. Now, just a note, SCETV is hosting the only televised superintendent of education debate on November 2nd with Weaver and Democrat Lisa Ellis. And another debate reminder, candidates for governor will face off next Wednesday, October 26th at 7 p.m. in the only gubernatorial debate of the cycle on SCETV and South Carolina Public Radio. I'll be moderating, along with Andy Shane with the Post and Courier, asking questions to incumbent Republican Governor Henry McMaster and Democratic challenger, former 1st Congressional District Congressman Joe Cunningham. I can tell you right now when it comes to hair, it's already a draw. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and we want to hear your stories as well. Tell us why you didn't come and visit us at the fair. Yeah. 
we, well, we're not even going to talk about the fair because if you weren't there, we shouldn't even talk about it. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> so it. So much cool like stuff it. happened, but if you so weren't there, much cool if, stuff. You, if you weren't there, you can't. We're not going to talk about it. Yeah, my uh, girlfriend <laughs> from that other high school is there too. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. I have a girlfriend, school. but she goes to a different school. <laughs> she she actually, school. she actually lives in Canada. So uh, <laughs> it was super rare that she was there. But 18 met her. <laughs> I met her. She was awesome. You guys would love her. Anyway, Gavin, how yeah. are you doing, bud? I'm good. It's just great that we're again taping back at your house. I'm now. Yes. Uh, 98% horizontal for a first yes. time taping a podcast. Yes, we joke about it, and the prophecies have come true. Gavin is laying down, <laughs> legs crossed. He has a lap desk on his stomach. <laughs> I said, if you get to do it like this, I want to do it like yeah, this. Yeah, he's doing me a favor because uh, my foot, she didn't want to move today. No. So uh, anyway, Gavin, we do have a call, and it is it has a lot to do with what we've been talking about, so we're not really winding down. I think we're just like maintaining okay. here. Okay, so That's you okay. ready to maintain? Uh, yes, the status quo, please. Uh, engage. <laughs> engage the drive. <laughs> Hey, Gavin and AT, it's Joan in Myrtle Beach, longtime listener, second-time caller, and a sustaining star of the ETV Endowment. I really urge every lead listener to uh, contribute to the ETV Endowment because we need the high-quality radio and television programming that the Endowment supports in South Carolina. So, hey. It's Thursday, October 6th, and I just caught up with four to five pods in a row, and as usual, the extended interviews and excerpts from um, speeches and remarks by public leaders um, are really good because they give me more insight into what's at play here in South Carolina. One pod in particular got my attention. That was um, Gavin's roadside interview on September 22nd with Governor McMaster when the abortion ban bill was moving back and forth between the House and Senate. McMaster mentioned several times that the legislature was was crafting a bill that was, quote, reasonable and acceptable, unquote, to the vast majority of the people in this state. And I cannot disagree more with that view. Um, If we really want to know what the vast majority uh, wants, then we need to have a statewide referendum. And I suspect if we did, South Carolina voters would be standing right next to the Kansan voters who this summer rejected a state constitutional amendment that said there is no right to an abortion. And they did it by a vote of 59% to 41%. But as Scott Huffman uh, from Winthrop said in that same podcast, our legislature is heavily gerrymandered, and most of our senators and representatives um, don't have uh, competition in November. They're elected in the June primaries, and, you know, so they will, and, you know, this is true, both parties play to your base, um, but they don't have to listen to the general public. They don't have to respond to the general public. So... We'll see where this goes. So that's it for lead politics. Now I'm on to the lead wind down and um, no hot dog condiments or um, um, state fair food. But I live across from the Myrtle Beach State Park. It's beautiful. The pier survived Hurricane Ian. And for Hulu TV, reservation dogs must watch. And I can't wait for Sapphic Spooky. Bye. Joan, great hearing from you again, and thank you for being a supporter and sustaining star. Everyone be like Joan, support ETV Endowment. 
public radio, ETV. We just did podcast. the no pledge drive. Podcast. 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 Don't forget podcast. Pledge drive. Um, Joan is going to definitely dig these long clips in this past episode. Oh, of she, course. By the time she's hurt herself, she's going to love she'll this. Like, yeah. Like a self-fulfilling. <laughs> and again, I, uh, I know she was benching there about trying to get this before the voters. It's a kind of a convoluted process. I think we've talked about this before. It came up during the Senate debate specifically. Uh, but again, attempts to try and move that to voters. Those attempts were shot down during the Senate debate. Mm-hmm. So that's the state of that when it comes to getting abortion before folks like you and me on the ballot. So that being said, how are you, AT? <laughs> I'm okay. I love that Joan. I, I like that Joan's voicemail was very much uh, like a condensed version of the pod. She got yeah, all, she knew what we were she, doing. She got all her news out of the way. She got to the wind down. And I, I bet if, if we did it, the percentages of it is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. I, I think she did a great job. Reservation Dogs, I've never really watched. Mm-hmm. What I've been watching, and it's not going to surprise many people, is I've been watching the Lord of the Rings TV show, The Rings of Power, mm-hmm. okay? And I've never had a gatekeeping opportunity this this big in my life. And, and you know what? I'm not taking it. Mm. And I'm almost disappointed that I'm not being as much as a contrarian and uh, a jerk about it, and I'm just sort of sitting back and enjoying it. What I'm not enjoying is the Game of Thrones show. Mm. I don't like the Dragon show. So I want people to call in and tell me what's good about that show. <laughs> Because I think it's terrible. You know what show I'm watching a lot of recently? What, what show? The Show of Life. Oh, good. The yes. daily life that we all live and experience. Gavin just goes, he sits in parks and I he stares. silently stare. <laughs> One episode that Takes I want to notes. talk about, A.T., is mm-hmm. our most recent episode, our re- recent outing to the, the state fair. Hold on. Chippy, no! Hey, down! No! Sorry. Sweat off, cats. Chippy is uh, they just licking, walk. licking uh, the, the egg pan. Anyway, Gavin, yes, we were at the fair. The fair? Yes, and Gavin was enthralled by the fair. Oh, I love I love the people. Yes. We were tucked away. Didn't like that part of it. We were the livestock. Maybe that's why some people didn't find us. We are near the livestock. We did have a super fan look for us. We were not there. We were oh, there at yeah. 3.30. If that was you, please call. Uh, yeah, if you we were the super we fan l- trying to find Gavin and I, I, I would love for you to call in. I, I mean, it's real, real bummer that we didn't get to see yeah. you, but we heard about you, mm-hmm. and and we want to know who you are. Anyway, Gavin, yes, the fair. Oh God, the mullets. I know mullets are having this thing right now. Yes, some of them are just. I just, I'm fascinated by it. Mullets and Crocs. Yes. What is this? What one? a pairing, you know. <laughs> if a Croc could have a hairstyle, it would be a mullet. I right? agree. Perfect. I agree. Yeah. Um, At you had your fisk fries. I had my fist fries. I ate them with uh, chopsticks. chopsticks. It was good. I got to say, inflation is definitely hitting fist fries because there were less in the bucket. I, mean, I can't stand that. Yeah, Gavin hates that. Um, was, you saw me just like staring at you. He, he was, yeah, just absolute daggers into my bucket of French fries. <laughs> I didn't even have one. I didn't even have. Did you say the F word? No. Oh, I think so. <laughs> the French fries. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I did have I didn't have much food, but Amy, our other producer, she did take me inside the, one of the buildings where they have all the chocolate chip cookies. Yes, and the, we got a couple of those. Those were delicious. Uh, I was disappointed that uh, Blake, the cameraman who was with us, Blake, he went and bought mm. a nine dollar single slice of pickle pizza. Mm. That I 
I, I, I know that I specifically brought up on this podcast, please do not eat the pizza at the fair. <laughs> Guys, do not eat the pizza. Do not eat the shellfish at the fair <laughs> or the pizza. It was a public service announcement. <laughs> okay. And still. Do I'm, not I, eat shellfish at a seafood I know, buffet. I know that producer Sean, now made famous by uh, the Lizard Man episode of South of Spooky, mm-hmm. he actually, he went to the fair, had the pickle pizza, and was a huge proponent of it. He's trying to get me to eat it, and I just... I just can't. You I know mean, what we can do instead, AT? What? Make our own. Yeah, we can make our own pizza. I, pickle Gavin? pizza. No, I'm not no, making... No, 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 I'm not... We're making our own pickle pizza. I'm not... You just like saying pickle, pickle pizza. pizza. What's the sauce on it? Say it with me now. Pickle, What's the oh, oh, wait, sauce, sauce on Is um, it tzatziki? I think it's just pickles on bread. Ugh, God. I don't know. I just can't. I couldn't stomach pain for any of that stuff. We, 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 I scooted around. Gavin came with me oh, to get wonderful. some sun. He hated everything he saw. Except um, the people. Uh, except the people. I wish I could have just true. set up right there and just documented everybody. And, you know, they're just the fashions were just We got incredible. some great ghost stories out of it. Yeah, it was okay. Some, yeah. We got some, but. Uh, Next time, I think we need to set up right in the middle of the foot traffic, put a microphone out. With our sign that says, Get in talk to us about ghosts. Talk to me about ghosts, And yeah. we would just be overwhelmed, I think. I And and Joan, one last call out to Joan before we say goodbye here is that uh, we, by the time you hear this, our third episode of yes. South of Spooky will be out. Point set bridge. Infrastructure if continues. <laughs> infrastructure <laughs> month, guys. I couldn't have planned this any better. We've written it where Gavin is a huge infrastructure nut, which is not too far from the truth. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so everyone, go listen to that. Have a good weekend. Gavin, you have a good weekend. Thank Don't you. eat the pizza. Do not at eat the, the fair. pizza at the fair. Okay, eat the French fries. Eat or the, the not even the, the donut burger. Oh, that wasn't that good. Oh God. Anyway, make your own. Have a good weekend, everyone. Let us know. Call in. We we love hearing from you. See you later. Again, like AT said, be like Joan. Give us a shout. 803-563-7169. You can also show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, where you can also subscribe to South of Spooky. We got a couple more episodes coming your way. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina Public Radio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. All right, all right. <laughs> What's the big deal? What's it then? All right. What's it then?